What is America? The land of the free? A failed experiment? Politically, opinions differ. For many outside of its borders, though, America is New York. America is LA. America is muscle cars and rock and roll. Hip-hop, reality TV, and cowboys. It's part Disneyland, part land of opportunity, and part pain in the ass. But there's much more to see here than America's most famous coastal cities. There's a cradle of culture between two oceans, in cities throughout the Midwest, the South, the mountain states, that has shaped the global perception of America as much, if not more, than its two largest towns. This week, an old friend returns to tell us what she learned when she went around the country to find adventure. Welcome back to the Get Lost Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Sills, freelance journalist for outlets around the globe. Today's guest returns to us from her own travels around the planet. She's a journalist, explorer, producer, reluctant gamer, explorers club fellow, and television host who last joined us for a deep dive in the Galapagos. She's been the star of shows like Travel Channel's Lost in the Wild and most recently, Discovery Channel's Tiger Queen on Shark Week. You guessed it, it's friend of the show, Kinga Phillips, and today she's here to help us all find a little more adventure. Hey, buddy. Hi. I think uh, Reluctant Gamer is my new favorite title for myself. (laughs) Yeah, uh, so you do this, like, streaming thing, and it's like a survival game on Twitch, or, like, how does that work? It's uh, Gameology, and the series is called Experts React, and it's actually super cute and really smart. And basically, they bring in people who have an expertise in an area and have them speak to video games to kind of address the reality of of what the video game portrays. And Mm -hmm. I got brought in as a survival expert, and it's super fun. To that, I am more than happy to speak, and I really love it. But we did have one part of the series that became experts play where Uh they want you to play the video game and speak to it. And then we all sat there for about 10 hours as I like punched buttons on the, (laughs) this, whatever the thing, the console, whatever it's called. And everyone was bored out of their mind because I just basically kept falling off cliffs. It's like a place. Well, that is actual survival though, right? (laughs) I, I can survive in the wilderness. I cannot survive playing a video game is what it turns out. It's really funny. So people can watch that at Gameology? Yep, on Gameology online. It's pretty good. I remember seeing clips of it and there's like a campfire going on and you're really dissecting like, okay, this is very real and this is very not real. 
And you know what's really cool is that these video games are so advanced and whoever they bring in to help basically orchestrate the reality of the game is really mm -hmm. quite good. So mm -hmm. a lot of these games are very accurate and very insightful in terms of survival. Yeah. But then of course you also have the games where you're like, wow, you've been stabbed 47 times and fallen off of 80 cliffs and you're still going. Uh, <laughs> probably not reality, but that's okay. Yeah, I mean, well, it depends on how big the knife is, doesn't it? Sure, exactly. <laughs> I want to be an expert in like a freelance writing game. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, all you do is just send out emails and, and get rejected by editors. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about Tiger Queen, okay? It's been a few months, like Shark Week, obviously a summer deal, but you're the star of this show and you're free diving with Tiger Sharks. Explain to us why you're not insane, well, I, I can't actually explain why I'm not insane. I don't know that anyone would back me up saying that I'm not, but I did have the immense honor of hosting a Shark Week show this year, which is cool for a variety of reasons, mm -hmm. uh, one of which is that in 33 years, they've never had a female host, and that's awesome. Yeah, and that's then, a huge deal. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And then on top of that, I got to go to Turks and Caicos and basically play with tiger sharks. And not only, you know, when I say play with tiger sharks, we uh, did some really awesome scientific research on a completely unstudied population of tiger sharks. And what was super cool about that is that when we decided to go to Turks and Caicos, uh, mostly because of COVID and we kind of bounced locations. And mm -hmm. when Turks and Caicos came up, I went, yeah, guys, I don't, I don't think there are any tiger Tiger sharks there. <laughs> yeah. And then I spoke, I, I was really actually concerned about the location. Mm -hmm. And I spoke to some of my scientist friends and, you know, people in the dive community and they were like, I don't think that's a good idea. And e and Dr. Austin Gallagher was like, no, I'm telling you, I've seen tiger sharks here. So mm -hmm. on his word, we went and the first two days there were no tiger sharks. And we were all like, oh my gosh. You, so you, he's like really on the grill. Like you're just looking at him like glaringly like Austin. We were like, Austin, what did you bring us here for? And then, you know, out of the blue, pun intended, here come all these amazing tiger sharks. And the episode actually turned out to be phenomenal because we got to tag one of the first tiger sharks in Turks and Caicos. Yeah. She is now being tracked for satellite data. And we got to have experiences with sharks that are really not habitated to humans. Like in some locations like Tiger Beach, which is a super cool location to introduce people to tiger sharks. But mm -hmm. those sharks are very Tell us habitated. where that is real quick for people that have it. It's Bahamas, Tiger, right? Yes. Tiger Beach is in the Bahamas and it's some of the clearest water, one of the easiest locations in the world to go dive with large tiger sharks. But it's very orchestrated and the sharks are very habitated to humans. You know, it, there's a whole other debate on whether that's good or bad, but it is a great place to go see tiger sharks. Mm -hmm. In Turks and Caicos, these tiger sharks are not habitated to humans. They do not show up when they hear a boat engine because they know that they're going to be fed. None of that. So we really had to find these sharks and ultimately they found us and it was a super cool experience and we got some really amazing research data too so you're in the water with these completely wild sharks and i mean that's a crazy thing to say because you think as a, as a non-diver or someone who's like a very novice diver i think well all sharks are wild they live in the ocean but there are sharks that are sort of habitated towards people these are completely wild animals for you to jump in there, is that a different mindset? I mean, what's going on in your head? 
That's that's a great point, Joe. And you know, you said it. All sharks are wild, whether they are habitated to humans in the sound of boats and in areas where chumming is allowed. They're more habitated and they're used to humans. They are all still completely wild animals, and there's a level of respect and caution that should be taken because no shark is your friend or your pet. You know, you start to run into the whole grizzly man scenario when you start to go, "Oh, they're my friend." Yeah, uh, they're not the wild animals. Exactly. <laughs> but we exactly. all saw that coming. I mean, we all did, except apparently Timothy didn't. But that's that's the case with wild animals in general. Mm-hmm. But yes, you're correct that when you're going into an area where these sharks aren't known. And sharks are very interesting because they are like dogs in the sense where each one of them has a very unique personality. Some are mm-hmm. more skittish, some are a little bit braver, some are some are, you know, they have personalities like any other animal does. And in Tiger Beach, a lot of those sharks have names and people understand what their behavior is. Even right. in, in Tahiti, when I was diving there with tiger sharks, my friend Dennis was like, oh, that's Victoria. She's feisty. That's Chupa. She's going to come in and check you out and then move away. That's Malia. She's going to stay far away. In Turks and Caicos, you have no idea what the personality of the sharks is. And like people, some sharks are grumpy. Some sharks are like, ah, cool, a human. And you really have to rely on your experience and your expertise of their body language, the situation, the environment, what the water's like, is it clear, is it murky, what what their body language is telling you, and your own behavior and knowing how to be present with them in the water so that you do not mimic prey in in any way. Right, right. And also because it's a completely unstudied population, the work that you guys are doing on a scientific level is really important for the protection of this species. Is that true? Absolutely. Dr. Austin Gallagher and Beneath the Waves have been working in Turks and Caicos to study this population of sharks because the reality is, as with any kind of animal out there, you can't protect it until you know something about it. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we were able to show that there actually is a large population of tiger sharks in Turks and Caicos, that already lends itself towards protection. And being able to tag these animals, understand their behaviors, we did skin samples. So it's it's kind of like a 23andMe of sharks. We recognize whether they're genetically related to each other. We understand what they're eating because of what's in their tissue. So you start to really develop an idea of what these sharks are, whether they are migratory, whether they are permanently there year round, whether it's more female heavy, male heavy, and then you can start to develop protection based on that information. I can't even imagine being in the water with a tiger shark, but apparently that's going to be happening soon. If you're interested in getting to know more about sharks like I am, you should check out Shark Allies. Shark Allies is a nonprofit 501c3 organization that works to protect sharks worldwide. They were founded in 2010 and in just over a decade, they've been instrumental in creating bans on the shark fin trade, protecting shark habitats, and working to reduce commercial overfishing and bycatch. They help create art installations that raise awareness for sharks and support scientific research with organizations like the University of Miami, the Ocean First Institute, Virginia Tech, and Cal State Long Beach. So if you love wildlife and you're interested in learning more about the dangers posed to sharks in the wild right now, visit sharkallies.org. Now, King is going to take us back to the show. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense. So 
That was all in the Turks and Caicos, but today we want to talk to you about a different show that you're working on, which is definitely not in Turks and Caicos. Uh, this show is called Finding Adventure with King of Phillips, and it's on a streaming service called Very Local. Uh, that's a, a service like Discovery Plus, where you can watch Tiger Queen, but it's just a different app for smart TVs. So, Kinga, tell us about Finding Adventure. What's the concept behind this show? Well, Finding Adventure is a wonderful, warm-hearted, inspiring, positive little show. And I have to say it makes me happy because it's kind of what I've been doing my whole life is dragging mm -hmm. my friends on adventures and being like, no, we got to go do these fun things. Get off the couch. Let's go. <laughs> and basically the premise of Finding Adventure is us going around the United States. It's a national show and going into fun cities from Orlando to New Orleans to Pittsburgh to Kansas City to Sacramento to Portland, Maine, and taking people who you know, in one way or another, just don't get outside as much and taking mm -hmm. them out to see what's in their own backyard. And one of the greatest takeaways from the show for me is, holy moly, we live in the coolest country and it offers so many amazing adventures. Okay, so this is interesting to me because as a Memphian, I feel like I live in one of those cities where people go, really? I mean, they know they can come here for music and stuff, right? But not the outdoors. Uh, there's a place you could kayak literally through like this big cypress swamp all day. And it's just a really awesome paddle. We put it anywhere in the country. It's really awesome. But the cities you rattle off like Sacramento, like Kansas City and Pittsburgh, like, these are all very similar places, right? Where people go, huh? Well, the fun thing is that they're not that similar. And you have all these different areas around this country that have such a unique, not only natural scape, but then you have culture layered into that. Like for instance, in New Orleans, we, New Orleans is such a wonderful city on so many different levels and it for has sure. so much texture and life and culture and color. Mm -hmm. And we had such a blast. We went out and we would try to incorporate things that really represented that area and that city well. And we would gravitate towards if there were state parks, if there were just areas of, of nature where that people could enjoy. Because part of the concept of the show is we are showing the audience things that they can do. So there was nothing that we did that you or I couldn't just go to that city and do. Right. So we went out in New Orleans and we went crab fishing and did a crab boil. And that is so unique to New Orleans. And all of our participants, you know, for, they, it's such a variety of people and they all had very unique and very relatable reasons as to why they don't get out much. We had single parents, we had a COVID nurse, we had people who had been through, through some kind of a traumatic experience in their life. Mm -hmm. We had people who just didn't think that nature was for them. And each one of these people, I have to say, had such a wonderful time such a cool breakthrough and realization of, wow, I can actually do these things, but it also carries over in their life. And it's very inspiring to them to be able to follow their own dreams even. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like we got to show switch. off on things. Yes. It's a light switch. It's it. We broke the seal and I can't say we did. They did it themselves. These people wanting to participate in the show would break the seal on a certain area of their life where they suddenly feel more confident and inspired to go do things. So this is really important. It's not just finding adventure as Kinga going around finding adventure. It's Kinga going around and finding local people and saying, hey, why don't you hold my hand and I'm going to take you outside of your door and we're going to go like the Hobbit. We're going to pull you out 
and we're going to take you on an adventure. And these people that go crab fishing with you, I mean, had they ever experienced anything like that before? So that one in particular was a great story because our gal there, uh, we call her the PH diva. She has a PhD, nails to hear, beautiful girl, pageant winner, amazing. And she Mm -hmm. kept saying, I don't get my hands dirty. And this girl threw down so hard and got her hands dirty, had the best time, was such a trooper. And that was the best thing to see that in every one of these cases, whatever our participants reason was for joining the show, Mm -hmm. they walked away with the biggest smile on their face, had such a great time, had so much fun. And that's the idea behind the show. And what makes the show so show special is there's no drama here. We're not, you know, we're not pushing the envelope and there aren't these stakes that if this person doesn't get the crap, well, they're voted off. No, it's really such a feel good show. And Mm -hmm. every one of these people is relatable to someone out there. And I think it's going to be incredibly inspiring. I'm so excited for people to see it. Yeah, it sounds cool. Uh, You were talking to me a little bit about it before, uh, I guess when you were filming it, because we're trying to get together. I'm like, where are you? And I'm just looking at your Instagram. Like she's all over the US, like in any given week in a totally different direction. And I'm like, this is wild. Like, what is going on here? So, question for you let's talk about the PhD book. Who finds her? When you're filming a show, like, who goes out and says, all right, this is the girl we want to bring out and do a salt marsh and <laughs> find crabs? Well, so we had a wonderful team of producers and part of their job was to find our participants. Mm -hmm. And so they would put up posts and a lot of these people would submit themselves or in some cases, a family member would submit them. Mm -hmm. And they would do a little video and kind of talk about their backstory and why they felt that they needed to find adventure. Mm -hmm. And so what was really fun about it is these people... even though there might have been some trepidation about a certain thing that we would do, everyone was really engaged and excited to participate. And, you know, of course we did our due diligence that we're not, we're not going to torture people. If they're like, I'm scared of fish. We're not going to be like, you're going fishing. (laughs) Here's the piranha tank. (laughs) Here's the piranha tank. Get in. So we would very much tailor these activities to the individual that we had. And in all cases, it was a blast. And I was grateful to get to know these people because they were inspiring characters and hearing some of their stories and the things they have gotten past or, you know, the things that they wanted to do in their future inspired me greatly. You know, that's interesting because I tell people all the time, like, yes, you know, I know this person, King of Phillips, and she really is Tomb Raider. Like, she really is Lara Croft. And she dives with tiger sharks and she goes into the jungle to these, like, really remote villages and interviews people. I mean, full on badass, but tell people about your beginnings because I'm always surprised that you're from Oklahoma. Well, I'm from Warsaw, Poland, and then Bartlesville, Oklahoma, which is the most random, I think, progression moving in this direction. Those sound like very opposite places. They are about as opposite as you could possibly get. Yeah. So we came from Poland because my dad was part of the solidarity movement with Lech Wałęsa and was a geologist. So we came to the United States and settled in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and then basically did road trips my whole childhood where my dad would pull over and take photos of roadkill. Uh, My dad's a geologist, a scientist, PhD, and he loved to document things, but he really needed a size comparison as any good scientist would. So I would then stand next to the roadkill, which was great. 
and we would like trek for hours through the bramble in Oklahoma, getting covered with like bites and all sorts of things. But that was very much what instilled my love for adventure. And, and my parents coming from Europe were also big travelers and, and always inspired us to go out and, and seek different cultures. And then when I started work, I, I decided I wanted to do journalism after seven different majors because I wanted to tell stories. And I Wait, you had seven quantity. majors? I, well, I did. So you can probably relate to this. I wanted to do it all. And I wanted to be everything. I wanted to be Doctors Without Borders. I wanted to be a marine biologist. I wanted to be in, uh, you know, I wanted to study bugs and stars and, and all kinds of things, volcanoes. And I was like, gosh, I don't really have enough time in this one life to do all these different things. And instead, the kind of the blanket for that, the umbrella was journalism, because I thought, well, what if I tell their stories and I get to kind of follow along with all these people and get to have those experiences and kind of quantum leap my way through all these different fields? And that stuck. I do relate to that. Um, and I've mentioned on the show often, I tried to be an Egyptologist and that was a complete disaster. <laughs> Wait, why was it a complete disaster? Please tell me. Oh, uh, well, so the thing is, I was 19. I was at the University of Memphis, which is surprisingly really good at Egyptology because Memphis, of course, the ancient capital of Egypt. So there's a, a connection there and we have a very strong um, Egyptian art program. So... There was that tie-in, but I was 19, and I was way more concerned about basketball and, like, Derrick Rose and, like, all this other stuff going on than anything in the classroom. And I tried to take French, German, and Arabic in the same semester. Wow. Yeah. On the same day. Like, Tuesday and Thursday was my foreign language day in my head. Right. So, as you can imagine, complete crash and burn. Was not prepared. And um, ultimately ended up dropping out, but... Thankfully, I was good at writing, and that, after a lot of practice, turned into being good at journalism. So it worked out. That's a great story. Yeah. Fun fact, did you know you have to have a college degree to join the Peace Corps? No. I yeah. didn't know that, actually. I tried to get in there, but they were like, you're not qualified enough because you don't have a degree. Huh. Yeah. I wonder if I could get in now. I sort of feel like you could. I bet you could write a strongly worded letter. Yeah, I hope so. I keep thinking U of M will give me like one of those honorary degrees, but it's just, it's, it's not happened yet. Maybe Phil win an Oscar or something. Give it five more years. They gave one to Justin Timberlake and he dropped out too, I think. So, no, he never even went to class because he was so busy being JT, you know? So you're telling me there's a chance. That's yeah, what I'm hearing from that. There might be a chance. So Finding Adventure with King of Phillips on Very Local, uh, you can get on your smart TV and download it. We've been to New Orleans. Uh, take us somewhere else. Tell me about a city that really surprised you. Pittsburgh. Okay. Pittsburgh really surprised me. You know, it's, first of all, a gorgeous city. Mm -hmm. I had not been before, and I was just really impressed with how beautiful the city was, set on the river with the hills. It's stunning. And then the range of activities that surround it is, is wonderful. We did something called river surfing, which I had never done before. What is and river surfing? That sounds so suspect. It, it does, and it's really extraordinary. So basically you have these special made stand-up paddle boards. Okay. And first you kind of go into a, a nice slow area of the river and you get comfortable on the board. Mm -hmm. And then you go down river from a rapid and you paddle upriver 
into the rapid and you kind of drop into the rapid and you then stand up on your modified stand-up paddleboard and you surf this rapid. It sounds very counterintuitive. I couldn't wrap my head around it because I thought we were going to be going downriver, dropping into the rapid and surfing that way. Because you are a surfer. Yes. And it actually worked against me. And I'll tell you why. Okay. So when you're when you're paddling through an eddy up river to get to this rapid, a rapid is formed because there's a rock underneath. Mm-hmm. So what you have is you have the water cascading over the rock and then it basically forms this little wave on the downstream side of the river and that's what you drop into. And it's a so so you're facing up river as you're riding this wave. And it's a standing wave, which we're not used to in surfing, because in surfing, you've got to paddle, 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 drop in and pop up as fast as you can and then ride the wave, right? Because the wave's breaking. This wave's not breaking. So I, to, to the horror of our wonderful instructor who is so well-versed in this, he is part of a, a small group of people around the world who, who is certified to be doing this. He said, okay, listen, take your time, paddle into the wave, and then just kind of get your feeling and then just try to stand up. And he said, if you fall, fall backwards down river because that's where it's deeper. If you fall forwards, you are falling into the rock that the water is falling over. And yeah, this that's a bad idea. So guess what I did over and over and over again? Oh, no. Why? <laughs> yes. No. Well, you were, first of all, you were in, in a ton of gear. So you yeah. were basically like the Stay Puff Marshmallow person. <laughs> uh, you have a yeah, helmet okay. on. I probably could have used like like mouth gear or something with, with my skill set. And then you were in this life jacket, which is also padded very much up front. But I, as a surfer, would paddle in like a monster and then immediately try to pop up because I'm so trained to do that before I got my footing. And it is a different feeling. So what I would then do is immediately face plant into the rock wall. And I would just hear everyone go, oh, oh, is she okay? Oh. And your whole crew, but this is all on film, like, you know, ultra HD. I will say that I sincerely hope that the wonderful post-production team over at Hearst, who is doing the show, cuts together an outtakes reel because it will be a cringe and laugh worthy because I had so many falls and so many face plants and that was part of the fun. But then once you did face plant to the rock, you would get spit out down river and then you would have to swim back and do it again. So I, I did finally get it and I did stand up, but I, I properly, you know, kissed that rock like 20 times so and is this a couple questions here first of all (laughs) is this like in downtown pittsburgh is there they're like buildings and stuff around you no so this so a lot of the things we did would be within say like an hour and a half maybe max two hours of the city and that's what's so day trips yeah so within the cities like in pittsburgh we did actually kayak the river and that was absolutely spectacular but then we also went sailing we went rock climbing in this beautiful park we we went and did the the river rafting and we did river rafting and then also river surfing so within just this this smallish circle, which is an easy day trip for anyone from these cities. Yeah. We found so many cool outdoor adventures. And are you running into locals as you're filming that people just like curious about what the hell is going on here? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're seeing people. First of all, in, in each case, we would... Um, we would find a business that does this because we want people to be able to go and seek out this business and do exactly what we did. 
Yeah. So again, there's nothing we did that, that no, not every single person could do. And then we'd have those experts with us. So if we went mountain biking, we had the guy who runs the mountain biking outfit. If we went mm -hmm. river surfing, we have the guy who runs that outfit. So mm -hmm. you have these experts, but then you have all the locals too. And you realize there are so many cool people in this country out there enjoying the open space that this, this nation has to offer. And that's really fun to see. Do you think this experience changed your perception of America? You know, I was always a big fan of the United States in terms of natural beauty. I mean, mm -hmm. we really do between our BLM land, Bureau of Land Management, national parks, state parks, protected areas, this country offers so much. And I was raised by a family that loved to road trip. Yeah. And so we drove this country, we crisscrossed all over. And then for work, I've had the opportunity to go to all these amazing places. So it didn't shock me, but it just added yet another layer of wonder of this incredible country where within just this state system that we have, you can be in Florida in a spring kayaking with manatees, or you can be river surfing in a river outside of Pittsburgh, or you can be hunting for crab with crab traps in New Orleans, yeah. or you could be, we went and worked with raptors at this beautiful place, meaning we had hawks, we had falcons, we had owls outside of Sacramento. Okay, because for a second I was training. thinking like, wait a minute, I thought raptors were extinct. What's going on here? <laughs> so we found velociraptors. Um, no, we found the birds and we had a wonderful time with them, but the variety of things that you can do in the natural world in this country is truly extraordinary. I think to me, you have a, a very unique perspective because I do often forget, like I did 15 minutes ago, that you are from Poland because you don't have an accent. Like it's, you know, you're very, very like West Coast person to me. I'm um, an immigrant. Yeah. So you have like a very fresh take on it. Whereas I was born in Tennessee and like have at this point in life, a somewhat jaded view. Although I have for many years crisscrossed the country um, reluctantly in some cases, because even though my travel writing career started out of like a tent going to national parks, um, I got so into the international stuff that when COVID hit, I was like relegated. It felt like I was stuck in the U.S., and, and that's not the right viewpoint, because as you're saying, this country is almost like a microcosm of the planet. It offers so much, Joe, from volcanoes in Hawaii to caves, to springs, to mountains. You want to surf, you want to ski, you want to dive. This country offers it all. And I'm, I'm going to read you one of my favorite quotes, by the way. I just looked it up while you were speaking because I awesome. think it'll really resonate to what you just said. Here we go. So Ralph Waldo Emerson once asked what we would do if the stars only came out once every thousand years. No one would sleep that night, of course. We would be ecstatic, delirious, made rapturous by the glory of God. Instead, the stars come out every night and we watch television. That's a quote from Paul Hawken, who is an environmentalist, entrepreneur, journalist, and author. Um, and I love that quote because there's so much truth in it that I think... Mm -hmm. When something is easily accessible for us, it's in our backyard or it's something we see every day, it quickly goes from the miraculous to the mundane. Yeah. And he's right. If the stars came out once every thousand years or if a sunset happened once every hundred years, we would be trampling over ourselves, spending tens of thousands of dollars to go to the spot where once in a lifetime you get to see the sunset. But 
they happen every night and there's only a small group of us that goes out there and looks at it. And I think it's the same with when you live in a place, sometimes you forget that there is so much magic around you. And in this country in particular, we have so much of it. We really do. And that quote is beautiful and it brings to mind a couple things. Um, The first is way back in 2016, I remember a campfire near Moab and I was pretty far out in the desert. And it was just one of those nights where you were far enough out that you could see the whole galaxy, you know, and that thought hit me. I'd never heard that quote, but it hit me that like, hey, this is here every single night. And why, why have I not done this before? Why did I wait till I was 27, 28 to go see this? Because all, all I had to do was get in my car. <laughs> and most of us in America are very privileged. A lot of us have automobiles. We have the means to spend a week on the road in a lot of cases. Um, and I didn't have much. You know, I was pretty broke. I wasn't making a lot of money. But I went. And yeah, it took me that long, 20-something years to go and see the Milky Way. Just what it looks like every night. And isn't that spectacular? And it's there every night. Yeah. And you know... You- you say something really, really poignant too. My family, we did not have a lot of money when I was growing up. And so our road trips were because we couldn't really afford to fly a family of four. And Florida was our big exotic escape because we couldn't afford the Bahamas or we couldn't afford Hawaii. Yeah. And the, the reality is that so much is available to us on a limited budget. Like BLM land, Bureau of Land Management is some of my favorite land in this country because you it's it's land that belongs to the people and Mm -hmm. you can go and you can camp and you can enjoy and really you know obviously there's there's always a financial commitment even simply just the gas and getting there or if you want to camp getting a tent and whatnot but totally it is truly as as affordable as it could be and having this amazing experience for it's a lot of bang for your buck is what i'm saying and then the national parks and i'm sure you have the national parks pass that i have too and oh yeah great great deal by the way and state yeah it's like like 80 bucks for entry to every park you go to in a year 80 bucks exactly and that's a great deal because most of the parks these days are 20 30 bucks a pop Mm -hmm. so i always buy that because i'm like oh wow you know plus i feel really cool like flashing my national parks pass yeah, right. Yeah. Like now I'm, I'm VIP. I now am I'm Tomb VIP. Raider, but this makes me legit. <laughs> but this makes me totally legit. But yeah, this this country gives you so much for for very limited funds. Like I love backpacking. I went backpacking for four days with a friend of mine in Los Padres National Forest up above Ojai to the Sespe Wilderness, which is one of the largest wilderness areas in this country. And we went for four days and just had the time of our lives. And the stars were incredible. Okay, so tell us about that. I know you didn't film the show there, but it's not that far of a drive from where you live. Uh, So talk to me about that. You're able to go basically in your backyard and spend four days out in the middle of nowhere? Exactly. Well, what's super funny about that is most of my friends, when I've been talking to them about the show Finding Adventure, they're like, we've been doing this with you for like 10 years. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's the fun is that... I'm doing on the show what I do with my friends anyway. Well, so, hold on, hold on. To be fair, your friends are also like underwater filmmakers and ninjas. Yes. That's true. I do have friends who are mermaids, underwater filmmakers, ninjas, hikers, backpackers, shark scientists. I do yeah. have some of the coolest, uh, most awesome friends in the world, you included, of course. Um, yeah, I make yeah. podcasts. I'm not a ninja. No, 
Well, you do really amazing things. You travel all over, write great stories, discover oh, things. You you are an explorer in your own right. Absolutely. I just really like hiking. <laughs> Stop. That's 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 funny. All right. So you go out to the wilderness and your friends are like, hold on now. Like you've been doing this for years. So but this particular one. So my friend Jesse and I went and we did four days in the Sespe wilderness. We hiked a total of 40 miles, did uh, 20 river crossings and got to an area called Sespe Hot Springs, which is one of the hottest hot springs in the United States. And we had this entire remote canyon to ourselves. Wow. And I am always blown away, Joe, when uh, especially outside of a metropolis like Los Angeles, but living mm. on a planet with nearly 8 billion people, whenever I find myself in a place where there are no other people around, I really take a moment to appreciate that. Like the fact that there are still corners of this planet where we can go and enjoy this amazing canyon with hot springs and big horde sheep all around us with no one there in itself is just magnificent. It's really emotional when you get to those places. I, I know you feel the same way because I'll do that too. You just stop and, and you're like, wow. I mean, all of this is right here. And it really can be breathtaking and so peaceful, you know? So peaceful. To be in a place where there is no man-made noise. I remember one of the first times I recognized that I was actually on an island on the end of the Yasawas in Fiji. And I climbed to the top of this mountain and I sat there and what struck me as so awe-inspiring was the silence. And mm. I realized I could not hear cars, I could not hear boats, I could not hear planes, I could not hear people. Those random things that you hear pretty much all over. And when you get to an area that is actually silent except for natural noise, bugs and birds and creatures, yeah. it's, it moves you in a way. It's very, very primal. It feels really good. I think it recharges you. Um, and this is a, sh a show and a topic for another day, but I just did a hundred mile hike at Hadrian's Wall. Yes. You know, it's English countryside. It's basically the Shire. And if you guys want to check it out, there's a story on Nat Geo about it. Uh, that's more or less what I wanted to write, although there's a lot of things they interjected that I thought were stupid. <laughs> um, I think it's a great story. And the video that goes with it is amazing. And the fact that you did a hundred miles in what, four days? I was yeah, blown away was when like you told me that. It was fast. And that's all Raven. Um, so Raven De Silva went with me because she's a Roman archaeologist. And when you're going to hike a Roman ruin, that's what you need. need. Yeah, but that's her because she's super fast. Um, and, you know, I'm like just a tortoise being dragged across <laughs> this landscape. But even that, even though we were in northern England and we were never more than like 15 minutes by car from a town, we're still alone out in the wild, quote unquote, and you have those really poignant moments. So I, I think finding adventure really hits that chord. Um, to me, if you're somebody who's listening to this show that loves to travel or is just curious about things that are going on outside of the office or the cubicle, there's a lot of stuff that you can get into just within an hour, an hour and a half of wherever you live, um, like Kansas City. You know, Kansas City was a real fun one because one of the activities that we did there was bow fishing for invasive species. Okay, what is that? 
Yeah. Well, thank you for asking because when they told me about it, I was like, that sounds amazing. I'm in. What is it? Yeah. Um, so we went out with these guys, stained water bow fishing, who are experts in the field. They have these modified bows. So you are fishing and you you are an expert in fishing, Joe. Like if I, there's one thing I know about you, you are a fisherman through and through. That's true. So, That's dad and, and 10 years of writing for fishing magazines. See, there you go. So your next assignment, I'm telling you, you need to try bow fishing. And these guys, and here, here's an interesting side note. You mm-hmm. often find that people who spend a lot of their time in the outdoors, hunters, fishermen, people of that type, are some of the best conservationists out there. Yeah, true. So topic for another time that, you know, people have strong feelings about hunting, fishing, whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people who are doing it the right way, who are doing it for food, are often usually very well versed in the populations of these animals in the health of the biomass because it actually benefits them to make sure that the populations are healthy. Yep. And we have a lot of invasive species in the United States and carp is one of them. Huge problem. And huge problem. And a lot of these lakes and rivers in the Midwest are full of them and, and they really kind of destroy the environment and, you know, take food away or they're just really large fish. So they disrupt like the, the nesting areas of other fish. So these guys go out and they hunt these fish specifically and they, you basically are hunting with a bow and arrow from a boat and you, they teach you really how to look at the water because your eyes need to be on on the outside so that you can see of the of the sphere of light so that you can really see any movement and then you've just got to be fast to get these fish so So, wait a minute you're on the like the bow of a boat and you've got a bow and arrow i told you guys she's tomb raider and got a bow and arrow and you're looking visually for these carp if if you guys aren't familiar with carp they're specifically the big asian uh, invasive carp that she's talking about they're like three to five feet long sometimes. I mean, they're huge, like big enough where if you're in a kayak and you spook one, it's scary. Yeah. Uh, So they're really big. And theoretically, you could see them from a boat up top. I mean, how does that work? You're doing it in the dark. So it's best. Why must you make this more challenging? (laughs) And these guys are such pros. It was just, it was super awesome. So there's actually a reel attached to this bow and arrow setup. Uh-huh. And when you shoot the fish, you you reel it in like you would on an actual reel, except you have an arrow. So to me, it's super fun because it's combining fishing with spear fishing, mm-hmm. which is kind of what what I'm more used to. Sure. And knowing that you're getting out there and you're you're getting rid of these invasive species is really really cool. And then also talking to these guys who do this professionally, and it's also their passion was was really awesome. So that's a perfect example of well, here's Kansas City. What are we going to do in Kansas City? go bow fishing clearly yeah i would have been like barbecue i don't know what else <laughs> i i ate a lot of barbecue when i was there too yeah. yeah fair enough and i'll shout out to kc like as a memphian i am an authority on barbecue and their barbecue is very good it's very good good food so that's an interesting thing to bring up and i also find it curious because probably like you a lot of times hunters and fishermen um there's a perception that almost all of them are like very right wing conservative type people. And, and a lot of them are, but mm-hmm. inherently I think it's also an area where people can come together because they look at me or they probably look at you and they're like long haired guy or like West coast girl. And they're like, we know what you're all about, but there's stuff we could come together on, which is this invasive species issue, uh, which are conservation issues like 
the outdoors, like preserving the natural habitat that we have in the United States so that people can get out from almost any city within a couple hours and really experience and find their own adventure. So most definitely. Kinga, as we wind down on the show here, um, talk to us real quick about the very local TV app and explain to people how they can watch the show because I think you can break it down for them. I, I can because basically the idea is if I can do it, anyone can because I am not tech savvy as me logging into the Zoom call proved earlier. Um, so very local, like you mentioned before, is an app. It's like Amazon. It's like Netflix. It's like Disney Plus. It's like Discovery Plus. It's like all the other ones. So mm-hmm. you go to your smart TV. You go to apps. You type in very local. There it is. You download it. It is completely free. And I was so proud of myself when I downloaded it. You might have seen my Instagram post where I was like, look, everybody, I have downloaded an app. Everyone's like, Kinga, everyone's been doing that for years. I'm like, no, but I downloaded it. Look, I'm I'm clearly just a genius. It's super easy. It's free. They have lots of good shows on there, news. It's actually a great app. I was really impressed. And then Finding Adventure, King of Phillips launches on Very Local on February 1st. And all the shows will be on there. Really awesome. Really appreciate your time. As always, it's great to catch up. Uh, I feel like we could talk for hours. So thank you so much for a little bit of time from your busy schedule. Thanks, Joe. Always a pleasure chatting with you. You can catch Finding Adventure on Very Local right now. It's already out. Thanks for listening to the Get Lost podcast. We are a production of Sold Outside Exploration Company. Follow us for contest on the gram. Get Lost podcast.